Well, Jerry, I don't know. Uh, as Hello, Brian. Good to see you. Good to see you, brother. As we're coming to uh, this uh, series and some time to, to talk about it, I don't really know whether to be grateful the series is about over because we're all taking a beating, you know, out there from these principles or whether to be uh, wishing it would go on forever because we're all seeing how much we need these principles. So I think um, as we see biblical principles at play in the midst of family life, I think it's just, it's just the reality that these series are heavy and I think they're, they're heavy particularly, certainly in any generation they're heavy, particularly in a generation, I think, where we see the, the darkening happening that we see and the pressures on family life increasing. So, truths, and um, I guess maybe I was thinking on the outset, just as we, uh, as we think about the, the people who have been, you know, in our congregation out there listening to this, the, these messages, and I was thinking about kind of two groups, and maybe you could talk about just big picture, how, how to encourage maybe two groups of listeners out there. Let's say you have those who are new to our ministry and, and maybe have, have never heard some of these types of principles, at least not discussed in these ways in regards to family life and, and are seeing that, man, you know, we're, we're behind the curve here. There's some catch up that needs to happen. And and then maybe talk about the, the second group. Maybe I would say, uh, and this isn't the only groups that could be in the audience, but two groups I was thinking particularly. The group that's, that's sitting out there hearing these truths, they've been under these types of truths and principles before, and, and they're seeing, seeing the same. That, man, there's, there's work that needs to be done. And, and I'm, I'm seeing areas in my own family life, and maybe whether it's a husband in his leadership or a wife and her coming alongside that leadership where... Where I, you know, I've I've got to get after some of these things in ways that I, I haven't in the past. So maybe just talk big picture by way of how you would encourage you know um, someone who's you know striving to respond to a series like you've been preaching here. Yeah, uh, it makes me think back when um, <clears throat> when my wife and I were um, in the throes of trying those early days and building principles. We ended up um, traveling across the country to go to a church that we had, the ministry of which we had been listening to uh, in those days by their media ministry. And, and there was, um, of course, there was the sense that with three kids already, and we just had the Word of God, but we were stumbling over this and that and how to apply it, and it was fledgling. And so we drove, we packed everything up and drove across the country and ended up at that church. But there was an immediate sense of um, the promise of, you know, that the promise of God, that He's working all things together for good, and that everything works according to the counsel of His own will, and that. He is in the heavens doing what he pleases, right? One Psalm 115. And so there was this sense in us that, okay, that the Lord's timing has brought us to a place where we can actually learn these principles now. And some water's under the bridge, but he knew that. He knew that we would come to the church that we were uh, going to when we realized it. He knew um, just when we would begin to have clearer truth from God's word poured in. And I, I, I think if a family has just arrived here or they're fairly new here and they have never really uh, thought through the clarity of Scripture on family life and the design of God, and 
then, then the first principle is the Lord knew that. He, and he knew exactly when to bring us here, and he knew exactly when uh, the, the urgency would be there and the providence would unfold and we'd be at this church. There's a, there's a draw to the grace of God when he's moving in your life and bringing you greater and greater clarity. So it's far more important to look at what's ahead and what God is doing in the present grace than to look behind and, and lament and self-pity over what you didn't have. I, I realize we have regrets. I realize that, you know, some folks have said, well, we were 10 years in this old church over here, and we've learned more in three months from God's Word here than we learned in 10 years there. What's the Lord doing in all that? I'm saying, well, you may have known about this church 10 years ago and not come. You may have not had an appetite for the truth. Your life may not have had enough uh, issue in it and circumstance that the Lord brings you through to make you ready for a move, but he knows what he's doing, and his timing is perfect, and his will is sovereign, and it's always for the good of his people. So remember, Paul says in Philippians 3, I, I, I forget what lies behind. I, I don't spend my time uh, going over what lies behind, except to say, if there are patterns in my life, I know here's what the Word of God says and I want to work on it. Other than that, I, I forget what lies behind and I press on uh, to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so I think that's the encouragement, first of all, to families that, <clears throat> you know, these things are very new and you haven't had them before. Secondly, if you're looking at a trail behind you, of, uh, because of that, a trail of some pretty messy things, uh, well, just remember, whatever God is doing to teach you right now what you need to know, you can go right to your children and right to your family and say, guess what God is doing? Hiding very quickly what was. Your kids know what was. Your family knows what was. It's a matter of transparently saying, I rejoice that God is opening our eyes. And Yes, changes are going to come about. We're going to make some changes as parents, and, and we're going to try to pour grace upon the change that's needed because our kids aren't even used to it. But I know this, God is opening our eyes, and we're going to be telling our family what we're learning. Uh, if you try it the other way, where you just sort of begin to implement new things, but you're not willing to see the kindness and the grace of the Lord in it and communicate that to your children, it gets a little difficult. Uh, we've had times, my wife and I, where we've sat down to w with a family and said, here's what I would do if I were in your case. I would go before your children and say, hey, here are the things we knew, uh, we, we, we thought were right, and they were unbiblical. Here's what the Bible does say. So now you're putting the Word of God into your children's lives. You're also showing them the error of what you thought, especially if you can diagnose why. Well, here's, here's why we believed what we believed, because we were holding on to X, X, Y, Z, and now we're jettisoning in that. So please forgive us for not being all that we could have been in the truth as parents, and now we're going to make some shifts, and we need you to pray for us because it's going to mean something in your life to make these shifts, but, uh, but just know we're going to provide grace, and we're going to go slow, but it, difficult as it might be, this is what the, the Word of God says, and we're now convinced. So I think that's how you start with that kind of dynamic. As far as being under the ministry of the Word and, and principles like this and saying in a series like this, wow, we've, um, we've got some work to do, well, did you think it was going to be different? Why do we come every 
gathering and sit under the voice of God in his word. Why do we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, it is no issue at all for me to remind you of these things. He told Timothy in the pastorals, a good minister of Christ Jesus stirs the people up by way of reminder and constantly nourishes them in the words of faith. Just because you hear a series like this does not mean that Brian or Todd or some of the other pastors or even this pulpit aren't going to pull out these principles in another year and lay them before you again. If you've been here for the last five years, we've talked a lot about family life and some of these principles have just been the same principles looked at from another angle. Uh, some of you have said that, oh, this is what we covered you know, two years ago. Well, of course. Because line upon line, precept upon precept, Isaiah said over and over again, we need to be nourished in the old paths, to use J.C. Ryle's language. We need the old paths. We need reiteration. And so if you know you need work, um, yeah, rejoice that God is giving you more urgency, showing it to you again. Are we not sometimes hard-headed? Do we not sometimes need the bit and bridle of Psalm 32 to drag us around because sometimes we're stubborn mules in some areas, and, uh, and yet God wants to make us open to the sweet instruction that he gives when he counsels us with his eye upon us? So, yeah, that's how I would answer either of those groups of people. Yeah, I think one of the principles you brought up to us was, you know, reproofs for discipline are the way of life. And, you know, that doesn't just apply to the, the young seasons of no. life. <laughs> we like to think that that's one for our children, but oftentimes, you know, the Lord reminds us, no, that's us as well. We're all just sheep. So I wanted to stay a little big picture here as we think about, you know, these principles as a whole. I mean, you're laying out these just enormous principles, you know, the family belongs to God you know, the need to love and serve uh, the church within the context of family life, permeating the house with truth, you know, the discipline of the Lord, removing worldly entanglements. I mean, these are, these are big categories of, um, you know, family life and important categories that we need to think through carefully. Talk about the importance of a husband and wife. So they're sitting out there in the audience. Maybe they're seeing areas of of perceived weakness in some of these categories. And maybe even they're struggling to come together to agree on some of those perceived weaknesses. And maybe they're trying to work that together to say, okay, so how do we, how do we start addressing these issues together when we don't always even see eye to eye as to where we are on some of these issues? Maybe just walk us through some principles, maybe thinking through, I don't know, how, how did you and Louise handle that over the years? Give us some, some biblical instruction sure. there. I mean, that's a, that's a, that is common life. We, we have to come together around the truth. Well, the first thing you have to do then when you are not aligned or you perceive you're not aligned or where there's just a serious delta, the first thing you have to do is grab the scriptures and separate principles that are clearer in God's word over which you must be unified and preferential things and applications of principles where you might have to think carefully about uh, coming together in a compromise with one another uh, in the application of a principle. The principles don't change. They're in the Bible. 
And I often find that, uh, and even when I think about all through the years, especially the early years where Louise and I were trying to think through uh, implementing these things uh, regarding school and friends and some of the more challenging things about just character development in our children, whenever we would hit uh, a difference, and, and she and I are very different, we uh, grew up differently, so we think differently, see differently. It's not just male and female, but it's also backgrounds and likes and dislikes and habits of life. Just your perception of life as husband and wife can be poles apart. So we had a lot of practice in those early days uh, because our initial response to parenting things was a collision. So we were forced to grab the scriptures first. We had to grab them because if you can't tell the difference between a preference and a principle, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to argue a lot over preferences and judge one another over preferences, which we're warned not to do. You're probably going to violate your roles a little bit, uh, maybe a lot, and you're going to be missing the unity that could be there if you knew what the principle was. And whenever you open the scriptures and you say, okay, what is it we're trying to do here? What principle are we operating off of? you find out several things. Number one, sometimes you're not operating off principles. You're just opinionizing. You, you don't really know how many times have we uh, not known where something is in the Bible and we say, well, I'm operating off this principle. And the other person will say, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, I know it, it, it's somewhere. I know, I know it's there. I've, I've read it somewhere. And Pastor Brian was, I think, referencing it at one point. And no, you, you find out when you're called to the, to the task of discussing a principle you are feeling strongly about, you have to find out, is that really a principle in the Bible? And once you can uh, begin to discover where you stand, am I opinionizing or is this a preference? Is this something I feel strongly about? Is this just my background? Uh, is this some sin in me? Or is this an actual command or principle of Scripture that I'm trying to implement? Um, once you can see that, now you can go beyond uh, just the, the confused way we think in our lack of clarity, and now you can say, well, do you believe what that principle says? Do you agree with that principle? Do you agree with this passage? Do you believe that that's what the Bible says? And then when a husband and wife come together, yes, we believe that's what the Bible says about that issue. Okay, now let's talk about our comfort zones in the application of it. I want to apply that principle this way with this child in these situations. You seem to want to apply it this way. What is that? Why are we different in our applications? And can we move toward one another and get closer together, um, me getting out of my comfort zone, moving her direction, her getting out of her comfort zone, moving my direction, and so that we can make an application where we've, we've said at least as much, hey, we're unified in our front about how to apply this. Then you add the third element of your, your place in marriage. The man will take ultimate responsibility for the decisions, uh, the moral trajectory, the spiritual protection or lack of it that the decision yields, and the woman will give every ounce of her perspective that she needs to give. She separates the principles from her preferences and comfort zones. She admits some of this is just the way she would apply it, and then the two of them stay within their uh, God-designed place as husband and wife. He 
ultimately has the responsibility for the final decision, and she will support that as God commands her to because they've talked about how to apply. They've moved toward one another and, and maybe even had to compromise their comfort a bit to make a unified application in the child's life. This is your constant discussion, your constant life when it comes to the challenges of implementing that with kids. Does that help? That does. And I was thinking particularly, and, and you hit on it at the end again, but you mentioned twice in there how when we make preferences the issue rather than principles that we're discussing, um, we get reversed in our roles. We can get backwards in our roles. Can you describe a little bit of that? Maybe talk from both perspectives, a wife's perspective, a husband's perspective. How, how does that reversal start to happen in the midst of a conflict over well, how to apply? I, I sometimes find that, um, and of course I'm looking back now, 42 years of marriage, so back in the beginning I don't think I, I had a lot of savvy uh, in any of these kinds of things. We were just kind of clunky, working it through, talking a lot. But I think sometimes... Um, husbands and wives do not take enough time to understand their tendencies and to um, accept it. So, for example, had I early on in our marriage and in those discussions and differences accepted my wife's tendencies um, rather than just want them removed because they didn't agree with mine, uh, it, I should have been more understanding, more sensitive to her tendencies. Even if I had to as a man, make a decision that she didn't prefer, I think it would have gone a lot further in the, it would have gone a lot further in the early years to, to respect and honor uh, her place in my life and in her opinions as a parent by understanding more of her tendencies, asking her more about it, trying to, um, to see things from her perspective and her frame of reference, even if in the end, I had to, you know, in good conscience, go a different direction. And I think when a husband and wife do more of that, um, yeah, then they stay within their roles because each of them feels like they've said what needs to be said. They, they are being heard. They're being more understood. It also leads to more detailed discussion about your differences instead of assumptions. In husband-wife relationships, we make assumptions all the time, and that's normal course of life because it's life's very fast. But, but to slow the discussion down and understand, oh, okay, um, why is it that that tendency seems to be uh, firing off in that way in this situation? Why do you think that is? And they give their perspective, and then you find out, oh, well, here's what I was thinking you were doing. Man, that brings understanding. It brings a greater acceptance of one another in our, in our opinions. Uh, and at the same time, principles from God's Word are governing all of it. So it's hard work. A lot of couples won't take the time, and so the children end up getting... Um, a confused sort of every once in a while hard principle, a lot of opinions, conflict among mom and dad that doesn't get resolved, and, and not a lot of learning how to resolve these things in communication as an example to the children because we don't take enough time to do it. So it seems to me that would be um, a part of the discipline of communicating, the discipline of humble listening the discipline of trying to accept and respect the framework that the other person's coming from, get in their shoes, walk a little bit from their perspective, and then share yours. And now you can stay in your roles and take responsibility, but you've been heard, you've helped one another, 
we're, we're just not all that good at that in the, in the earliest years. And if we don't cultivate that, we're not very good at it most of our lives. We, we just sort of grind and argue a lot. And, and then we just sort of demand the other person, you know, do what we think is better kind of a thing. So... Yeah, and so much of that, you know, your first, your first message on the family belongs to God. You know, so much of that, even what you're describing right there is, is uh, just a deviation from that very truth and reality. What we're actually believing is, no, the family belongs to me and my comforts and even my expectations. And when those aren't met, then, you know, something has to change and it sure isn't me, right? <laughs> it's kind of the, the way we approach those things. I was thinking about that particular progression in the heart of, of really where our heart goes if this first principle isn't in place where the family belongs to God. And if we're viewing our family in some regards as needing to meet our expectations rather than trusting God with the providence of all of that. And being in a place like we're at at GIBC where we're learning, I mean, a lot of large truths about the Lord and his sovereignty and, and everything that, that, you know, he's in control over in this world and this life. And then we have this perspective that, but our life and what, what's most important to our life in regards to our family is kind of off limits. And suddenly God's not meeting our expectations there. Talk about where that can start to lead in a person's relationship to God. Even so, it, it, I think the, the kind of the first stage of it is so much of what you'd be describing there, of you know, well, there's going to be arguments, there's going to be you know, struggle and tension, and we're going to be trying to get each other to fit into our comfortable lane or move over to where we want them to be, so that we can fit them in where they'll meet our expectations and our desires for our comforts. But in reality, we can't get away from the ultimate, you know, theological truth that you're describing here, which is this: the family is God's. Our life is God's. God which, is in control over these things. So where does that lead? Which means that any, any attempt for us to shape the family according to our expectations is faithlessness. It's unbelief. All sin is an unbelief problem. All, all sin says, I don't trust God. Uh, so if you're going to build your family on your expectations, you're already dead in the water getting out of the gate. It's going to be conflict unresolved. It's going to be further blindness, further unbelief. But yet, if you desire to uh, take God at his word, we walk by faith. You take him at his word, Second um, Peter 1, that he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You take him at his word. One of the passages we never think of as a parenting passage is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The scriptures, the word of God is breathed out by God. All scriptures breathed out by God and is useful for the equipping process so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work through reproof, rebuke, uh, training, and correction. So there's a parenting passage for you. If you want your kids to know the truth and, and ultimately embrace it, if God's going to do that work in their heart, they can be a, a young person growing into an adult as a, as a fully equipped Christian if you will count on the Word of God as breathed out by God and profitable for that. Everything else, your expectation, my expectation, your whims, my whims, it's unbelief already at the foundation of family life. We walk by faith. And just a word to the dads, you, you've got to model what it means 
to walk by faith when you have no answers to fix it. Here's the thing, uh, and, and I would say if you, if you forced me into describing the principles that I spent most of my time being hammered over by the Lord, it was, look, you're not going to be able to fix uh, the way your flesh would want to fix your wife or your children. Your wife is this, as God's designed her, a fruitful vine in the house, and yet the only way she flourishes is when there is a leader who's modeling those things for her. Whether she follows it or not, that has to be there. Well, I'm not going to not going to be able to make it so she never challenges it. I'm not going to be able to make it so she always follows. So where am I going to end up a lot of the time? Lord, I have to believe what you say. You say to be this. You say to love her like Christ loved the church. You say to pray for my children. You say to apply the scriptures by practice with discernment, Hebrews chapter 5. So I'm going to be a man who has to walk by faith. And then when I do talk with my wife, she's being encouraged to be a woman who walks by faith because a woman's whole life is all about security with her family. Well, God is going to shake that thing up. And so she has to believe God. So guess what? You as a husband get to say, well, come alongside me and let's believe God together. Let's walk by faith together and your fears will be swallowed up. And you, the things that frighten you and concern you, you'll, they'll be swallowed up in the fear of God and in his purposes, and you won't micromanage your children and defy the husband's leadership as often. And so this is the principle you're constantly having to work on. Lord, all sin, all human expectation for my family is an unbelief problem. And you call me to walk by faith. You do not give me circumstances that require no faith. All the circumstances that will help me grow require faith. Otherwise, there's no point. And so we kind of come into family life going, really? Is that how it has to be? Oh, really? Can't, can't we just kind of, you know, hang out on our lawn and do our house the way we want and kind of have life protected? And can we have enough money to make sure we never have any problems over here? And can we take medications to mask our problems over here? And can we, can we have kids that just sort of toe the line and keep them all dressed like little Lord Fauntleroy's and nobody's going to go outside of that? And can't we, this is what we do in family life. And the whole time God is saying, I've got news for you. I don't want any of that. And so I'm going to shake your world up so that you believe God. That's what he's doing. So when I think about expectation of staying in your roles, I think about the principle God hammered me on most all my early parenting life, and that is, are you going to believe me? Are you going to walk by faith? And to this day, that is the battle, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's not a secret why Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God, is a bestseller for generations. There's no secret because we don't trust God. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you're describing that, and I heard you, I want to pick up on one thing that you mentioned there that I think is oftentimes a, a struggle in the midst of this. Unmet expectations, you're talking about trials in family life, you're talking about things, you know, happening that God's bringing in there and messing up what our plans were for our life from our perspective, obviously, and 
And, uh, and so we're not expecting the right things, obviously. I mean, the scriptures tell us what we should expect. You know, in this world, you have tribulation. <laughs> Take heart, I've overcome the world. You know, God's going to bring trials in order to mature your faith, James 1. We, we see all of these things, but that's not what we expect. We somehow think that we're going to be able to, to skate by that, and that's not going to be the, the part and parcel to, to life. But, but one of the things you mentioned in there that I wanted to pick up on that maybe you could expand a little bit, you, you had mentioned husband and wife coming together and, and side by side viewing each other through a lens of we're in this together. Uh, I think sometimes we get a bit of this adversarial type of dynamic happening in the middle of, of our marriage in particular. Talk a little bit about where does that come from? How do we solve that? How do we start viewing our, our spouse if we've cultivated some of that together? How do we start viewing our spouse in a way that would represent some of what you're describing here. Yeah, it's two things. And it's always these two things at the core. There's a whole lot of other things associated, but it's always two things. Discontentment with God and what he's doing and unrepentance. You will always be walking with God and quite content to let him unfold his providences even through a sinful spouse or sinful kids if you are content with God's purposes and repenting of the things that you're expecting of the humans around you and you're agitated because they're not measuring up, right? Matthew chapter 7, you are to take the log out of your own eye. What is the log in Matthew 7? What is the log? It is self-righteousness. I'm better than you and I'm doing this better than you and you're not measuring up and so I'm here to tell you in a hard fashion what you're supposed to be doing. So we become adversarial and deep down we're not willing to admit I'm just discontent with how God works. God does not work on our sanctification um, by feeding our comforts or our flesh. Uh, if the Lord Jesus had to learn obedience through the things which he suffered, then surely his people would not be able to go through this life full of tribulation without learning faith and obedience through the things which we suffer until we get to glory. Now, the promise is we have glory. It's ours. The promise is Heaven is ours, and we can't be separated from his love. And the promise is, in the meantime, from here to there, he's given us everything, right? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. You know what we're telling him most of the time? No, you didn't. No, you, you didn't give me everything, because look at my spouse. If you really want me to lead the way that I could really lead, you'd have given me a different woman who was easier. And the woman's thinking, you know, if you really wanted me to follow you by faith, it wouldn't be this guy. We're discontent with God's plan. You know, if you wanted me to be a kind parent, you wouldn't have given me this, you know, demon-possessed two-year-old. Really? How else are you going to be sanctified and made holy? Do you really think that you know yourself better than the Almighty? He knows our frame. He hems us in behind and before. He knows what we need, our every need, before we even ask. 
Your heavenly Father knows these things. Come to me, he says. Pray to me. Petition. Don't be anxious. Bring your petitions to God with thanksgiving. Let him know them. He loves it. But he already has his plan. He's going to use your petitions, and he's going to minister grace to us because he has us on the trajectory. It's not our plan. It's his. And he's going to bring us to Christ's likeness. So the adversarialism and conflict in the home um, is rooted, first of all, in those two things. I'm discontent with God's plan, and I don't really repent of my self-righteousness uh, and the standard I'm holding on, my, on those around me. If I, if, you know, I've often thought, my wife and I, when we would talk about how to resolve conflict, we would often keep this thought in mind. Wow, when I'm in the middle of my best argument, and I mean, my inner defense lawyer is out, and he is cranking, and she's got nothing to say. If the Lord showed up right then and just peeled open my chest and showed my heart, what color would it be? Black, proud, arrogant. And so we used to chuckle at how well, sometimes we chuckled. <laughs> sometimes we had times of intense fellowship. Um, but looking back on some of that adversarialism, we'd realize, oh, we were self-righteous, unrepentant, and um, we were discontent with what God was doing. So we're back to, do we believe the Lord? Yeah, so that, and that's, that's just absolutely essential as we think about family life together because I think so often, you know, we, we approach family life not even applying the most basic principles of how the scriptures call us to relate to one another as believers, as Christians, not even applying those to our closest range Christians, you know, some of the things you're talking about. And, um, and so I was thinking about that even in the context of the wider body of Christ. And so what, one of the points you described here is the, the need for in the midst of family life to be, to be teaching and training and centering the family around a love and service to the local church. So I was thinking about that, and that obviously, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask on that because it brings up some practical challenges, but maybe before we get there, I wanted to ask you this question. I, I think in, in this particular arena, and so particularly when you have a church like ours where a lot of emphasis placed upon strong male leadership within the context of the local church, a lot of ministry opportunities happening, you know, in, in the, the church surrounding you know, guys getting together and spending time with one another, talking about these things in the context of, of family life and being pulled into leadership context in the church and having a lot of those responsibilities. And, and wives and mothers um, end up bearing a, a, a heavy load in regards to, to family life. Obviously, they can't bear that alone and husbands aren't neglectful in those things or shouldn't be. But I wanted to ask you this specific question. As you think about that whole dynamic right there, what particularly unique role do the, do the women, the, the wives and the mothers play in cultivating this love for church and the, this love for the ministry and centering the home around those things in the midst of family life? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, maybe uh, the first way to sort of look at this is where the conflict lies sometimes when she's feeling that those ministry things are a threat to or even putting a greater burden on her at home and things like that. Sometimes, just a word to the men, sometimes um, 
what you're gleaning and gaining from your times of ministry is not being reported to her, so she's not enjoying the fruit of some of it. Other times, you're doing ministry things and activities, but she's not seeing change in the most crucial areas of your life. So it could be that the perception is that you're going to all these meetings and things like that, but you know, you're, you're dealing with the easier stuff to look spiritual, but you're not really cranking down on the things that she knows you and she both see as greater weaknesses. So sometimes you can shoot yourself in the foot, guys, by being involved in ministry and away from your wife who's handling the home on your behalf, but when you come home, she, she's not enjoying the fruit of it as much. So you got to be careful of that. Uh, one other thing I'll say before I'll, I'll answer the question, and that is this. Uh, sometimes when it comes to doing things in ministry and the moms there at home supporting those kinds of things, uh, I often feel as though, because uh, I, I hear from women that um, the, the understanding of how God uses the church to bless uh, the family life indirectly is not communicated in the home very much. So it's not just that she wonders if she's seeing the fruit in her husband's life, but when he's articulating the benefits, he's, he's not connected the dots for her. Um, so that can be a problem. He's got to help her understand that when she was saved, she was saved to follow in God's design in the ministry of her family and in the body of Christ. Oftentimes a woman can only see the children and the home life function issues right in front of her, which she must pay attention to, and she doesn't see how, out of that, she has any kind of ministry to anybody else. And yet the responsibility and obligations on all of us to do the one another's. So the husband has to come alongside and help her see the ways that her support at home and her work on the issues at home are a ministry to the women of the church, and that she does have more to offer than she thinks. Sometimes women just get myopic. I have my kids. What do I have to offer? I can't really spend any time with anybody. This isn't really useful. And the husband's sitting there saying, well, I mean, but this is your role, you know, and then he goes off to, you know, spiritual Disneyland. So basically what he's got to help communicate to her is, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not only are you honoring Christ with a role a man cannot fulfill in that way, the place in the family that a woman has as a mother and as a wife is something a man cannot do. She's the complement. She's essential, but he sometimes needs to help her see how that is ministering to others and then also help her see that she has a lot more to offer uh, even if she can't spend a lot of time away from the kids and at home. She has a lot more to offer than she thinks and he could encourage her in the ways that she has blessed other people's lives just by being faithful to that. Uh, so to me, there, there is, a lot of it's just on the husband. He's, not, he's either not seeing the fruit in his own life, not communicating fruit to her. She's not enjoying what he's supposed to be gleaning. And then ultimately, she doesn't see how useful she is. She sees it as just, I'm just here in my small little world, and we're being pulled apart. Ministry is competing with uh, home life. Um, the way that my wife and I would talk about that is I, I wanted her to know where I was going in ministry. And when I got home, we talked about it all the time, even shared with the kids. The kids got so used to sitting around the living room with us while we were downloading on ministry life or burdens or people um, that 
that we, we actually enjoyed having them there so that, so that we could talk to them about that. They, didn't, they couldn't know all that was going on in, in some of the challenges of ministry life, but they could know the joys and the, the way the Lord was working in our hearts and in ministry. And so we have to communicate that with them a lot uh, and involve them. Um, but a mother's time with children and at home is, is pretty uh, focused on uh, little people and uh, logistics at home. But if a husband comes home, he says nothing about that or very little. Uh, when he has to realize he couldn't do what he does if she isn't the representative of his leadership in the home while he's gone. Um, and then he comes home to support and undergird what she's been doing to support and undergird his life the whole day through. Uh, he has to talk about that. He has to share that. And, and men, we just don't do that well. We get home and it's like, I don't want to function. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to go to my nothing zone and do nothing and think nothing and say nothing. Uh, you're stepping on the air hose of the fruitfulness of your wife in your house. And so you have to figure out a way to talk about those things that's meaningful to her so she feels in the center of what she's isolated from. Isn't that interesting? She's isolated from all those things sometimes physically, but she needs to feel like she's in the center of it and know how she's in the center of it because you're helping her connect the dots and her fruitfulness in it. And then just thanking her, I can't do what I do without what you do. I, I couldn't. And then when I get home, uh, I've got more leadership responsibilities to help you with because you've, you've been battling it all day with the, the Hutu uprising among the kids. And, and I literally have to come home and take care of business. And what does a man typically do? Well, couldn't you manage this? What happened? You know, I leave to go to work and the place blows up. What's going on with you? And of course, she's totally defeated. She doesn't see that she supported him. He's not treating her like a soldier that's been embattled for the righteous things. He, he treats her like a derelict, uh, you know, employee who didn't do her job. That's not going to be helpful in helping her bear fruit uh, while you're away from that. So, you know, one of the things I love about uh, these Q and A's, Jerry, is uh, even when I ask the wrong question, you answer the right question for us. Wait. So. <laughs> what happened there? Well, I asked you what the woman's unique role is, and you just oh, yeah, spent yeah. the last 10 minutes telling us what, what, what the man needs to do. And that, as I heard your answer, I'm going, Fair well, that, that was actually the right question to ask. <laughs> so, you make well, my job did, easy, it, Jerry. Interestingly enough, when I'm talking about the man's responsibility, clearly, ladies, you would have heard that you're at home. You're supporting his leadership. That's your role. But maybe just to put the challenge to you, listen up as women for how you are by your example and your dedication to your home um, a ministry in the church by example and then when it's hard to get here on the Lord's Day and you strive to do that as many and as often as you can what a tremendous example that is what an encouragement that is to others and then don't forget I know that whenever kids, um, suddenly the planets align and it's quiet in the house all of a sudden. I know that those are times for you sometimes to just uh, take power naps and things like that, and you ought to, and that's wonderful and it's refreshing. But don't forget that a 10-minute phone call to a friend to pray for them and ask them a question fills your heart up with the ministry 
to that individual that you didn't think you would otherwise have because you've been, you know, wrestling with little ones all day or arguing with a teenager about truth and you don't feel useful to anybody outside the four walls of your home. It doesn't take much for you to pour out wisdom in some other woman's life uh, that needs you um, just a couple of times a day and it'll fill up your heart with more than you think. And just ask the Lord to do that. Lord, give me opportunities with people while I'm constantly with my children pouring into them in support of our family. Give me opportunities with people to pray and to offer encouragement and, um, you know, I'll I'll rest in the in-between times. So as we think about that body life, you know, and immersing our family in the midst of body life, uh, you know, some of the challenges, which I know you can't solve all of the specifics of this for each family, but give us some principles we operate on as we think about making decisions in regards to family life and ministry life and when our family is needing some, you know, respite and and breathers away from the demands versus when our family is just needing to press forward and get get into the the fray. Well, yeah. Um, I, I... I think early in my Christian life, I was like anybody else. Okay, you know, here's how I'm going to prioritize it. And we've talked about this, Brian. I'm going to prioritize it all vertically, right? God is always first, and, and then family's second, and then somewhere in there is church, and then there's my job. Uh-oh, what am I going to do if my job is demanding more hours? How does that work? That never helped me, really. So I just, I kind of, you know, thought this through one year. I can't remember how many years ago, but I was thinking, well, the Bible doesn't really talk like that. So I remember pulling out an eight by 10 sheet and I wrote down, okay, what are my responsibilities biblically that I know without even doing big studies? What are my responsibilities? I am a Christian. I must be devoted to Christ working on my sanctification. I must be knowing the word and learning discernment in its application. I must be a faithful uh, servant of Christ uh, witness to the world and minister in the body of Christ with the one another's ministering my gifts. I must be a faithful husband to my wife. I must be a faithful father to my children and uh, an employee at work. And, and basically, I laid it out. And then I, I just thought, well, God doesn't say, okay, now while you're over here being a good employee, you can let your uh, duties as a husband slip And then every once in a while, pay attention to your duties as a husband and you can let your witnessing slip or your time in the church slip. No, you can't do that. He just gives it all to you and says, okay, be be faithful to me. And, you know, it's daunting and it's overwhelming. So I had to back up and say, all right, Lord, you knew all that. You know my frame. You know I'm mere dust. You know I'm limited. But you've given me all those to do. And you say, now be faithful to it. So I'm going to trust what... The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, if I, if I don't see something, the Lord's going to reveal it to me, right? He's going to reveal it in his good providence and kindness. He's renewing my mind, Hebrews 12, uh, sorry, Romans 12. He's renewing my mind in the truth, so I'm learning, and by the Spirit, I'm having discernment. I'm not being conformed to the world, but I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. And if I've got all these responsibilities to do, then all I can do is trust his providence as I continue to evaluate every area on a constant basis. So then I just realized it was like epiphanic to me. It's dynamic. It's not static. If I make decisions in one season of my life that I'm going to devote myself to church life in this area of ministry, have this Bible study, do this with my family, 
And then I find in God's providence months or a couple years later that something else needs my attention and I'm not going to be able to devote as much practical time to this. Neither responsibility is diminished, but I'm going to go devote time to this. And so I'm constantly, we, we were constantly in the mode of, okay, let's evaluate this. How are we doing? Should we keep this Bible study? Should we, should we tackle this ministry? Should we minister to this family? Uh, should we take up that mantle? Uh, what about schooling? What about extracurricular things? All of it mattered. All of it was wonderful. But all of it was on the chopping block on a practical level. And we would just constantly course back and forth looking for the gaps and the holes as the Lord would reveal them and then try to fill them. We could, we could be confident he's, he's going to work through that. Uh, I remember sometimes my kids even saying, can we get some time with you, Dad? And uh, I, I loved spending time with my kids, but there were some seasons of ministry that got pretty burdensome. And, uh, and people's lives and discipleship and all that, that's fulfilling and rewarding. <laughs> I remember my son saying to me one time, you know, you di- disciple so many other families and their kids. I, I could use some discipleship. I think he said it maybe a little more eloquent than that, but that's how it hit me. It hit me pretty hard. Um, well, that was one of those times where I was not devoting enough time to my relationship with him because I was devoting it to other good things. But now God in his providence has come to me through the voice of my child and said, I need you. And so I'm going to look over these other areas and I'm going to rob time over here and pay it over here knowing that that's what God's providence has unfolded. And I never worried about it beyond that really because you can't. We're given all those responsibilities to do and God knows what we're able to do and what we're not. And if you're not talking about it, you're, you're going to get confused. And if you think you just got one mode and that's how you're always going to operate, you're going to probably uh, you miss some things. But it seemed to me I just needed to trust God's providence and my growth process and know the responsibilities that I'm given so that I have discernment as I'm looking at them and asking the Lord how I'm doing. Yeah, and what that does is in each season, it places the responsibility firmly on our shoulders. There's not a one-size-fits-all, one nope. quick-fix type of dynamic that, okay, I'm going to set this pattern, set this course and this heading, and, you know, here we go for the next 15 years <laughs> or whatever of family life. No. It also clarified real guilt versus false guilt. Some families, you know, feel like if they have to cut out a Bible study or something like that, they always say to us, you know, they'll come to us a lot as pastors and say, is this right? I, I feel like I'm not ministering in the church. And we'll ask them, what do you mean? Like, is there a, is, is there a standard in Scripture you're failing in? Because if you're talking about being faithful to the things that you've been given to do, you'd have to find an actual way you're, you're neglecting something. The practical application of principles is up for grabs. We can we can go to a Bible study or not go to a Bible study. We can attend this or not attend this. We can minister to that need or sign up for that or not sign up for it. God doesn't say anything about that stuff. Now, what he wants us to do is look for ways to be faithful, look for ways to trust him, ask for his wisdom, pray for guidance, look to his word, apply the principles, and just do what you want. And his providence will unfold areas and gaps that need attention. It's so freeing to me that way. It seems like one of the things that's really important in that, what you were just describing too, is ongoing humility as we learn. 
in that process, you know? But we're gonna make mistakes in what you just described. It's like we're assessing how to be faithful, we're trying to chart a, or chart a course here, and, and so we make some decisions, we, you know, move towards some certain activities or away from some other activities or whatever it may be, and, uh, and then we get a few months in or six months down the road and, and we start looking at the garden again, <laughs> realizing, oh, wait a minute, there's some major weeds growing up over here. There's some area that needs some fertilizer over here. And so this is gonna test us to be able to, to be humble enough to go back and recognize when, hey, you know what, I think we need to, to make some changes here because I don't think I was applying with wisdom everything I needed to back there. Or, or maybe I was, but the Lord's teaching us some things that we didn't yeah, we're know. we're being stretched. Sure. I was applying what I knew, but now I'm being stretched in new ways, and so we got to make some shifts and adjustments. And yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, permeating your home with truth. Uh, was one of the, the points that you brought up. Super just, I think, convicting for everybody. The area, I mean, nobody would feel adequate. It's one of those areas where I think if you feel adequate, you, you probably need to go back and repent of some of your pride because you're probably, what, what home is, you know, permeated with truth in all the ways that it should be? There's, there's always ground to be gained there. And, and I was thinking about one of the, the challenges that we run into. One of the things the New Testament uh, describes in regards to body life is differences between us. Differences in families, differences in giftings, differences in leadership, differences in all these arenas. And so we can start to look at one particular category of how a family applies trying to permeate their home with truth as being the solution and that can do a number of things in our heart, I think, that aren't necessarily good. Could, could you talk to us a little bit about some of that and how we need to trust the Lord with, with how he's um, bringing those things about in our own family, how we need to think about meeting those needs dynamically and the responsibilities yeah, he's Yeah, well, given. maybe in the macro, um, all of us know, as we've been studying on Sunday mornings, that we are to meditate on the truth. We're to hide it in our hearts. These are commands from Scripture. We're to know the truth and by practice learn discernment. We're to confront error and ideological uh, doctrines of, of error and demons. We're to confront that, 2 Corinthians 10.5, by taking the truth to that as our weapon and taking those thoughts captive to Christ. This is, these are commands of Scripture. So we are to, in, a, in that permeating sense, always be about those particular disciplines with regard to God's Word. So that means you've got to learn it, right? What is discipleship according to Matthew 28? Teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. See, you've got to learn the commands. Um, how you go about learning them is, uh, is up to you. God didn't tell us that. He just said, expose your mind to it and pour over it and think about it, ponder it, confront error with it, believe it, ground yourself in it. These are all uh, terms in the Bible, concepts in the Bible that are commands. But sometimes it is true that in our family, we find in the personality of our family and in the practical way, rhythm of our family, we find that that talking about truth, bringing verses to bear, uh, little practical ways we do that, we found that effective for our family, right? And so it's very easy in the Christian life for the form to become, in our minds, the substance. 
Methods are methods. Unless you see a method given specifically in Scripture, it's a method that is an application and it is sometimes effective in certain seasons of life and other times not as effective in life. Uh, so we have to be careful because if you're going to say we got to meditate on Scripture and permeate our home with Scripture, uh, some families will do that one way and another family another way and then look at one another and uh, be afraid uh, of how the other family's implementing it or not or get intimidated by how somebody else is doing these things on a practical level. And since our kids interact, our family lives interact, and so when we see those differences, instead of talking about it and being confident in how we're doing those principles in our family, we get intimidated and on our heels or even judgmental because we think we found the method. Um, and Romans 14 is very, very clear. In matters of conscience and preference, let each be convinced in their own minds. This is why, you know, families argue over should we celebrate Christmas or not? Should we have a harvest festival or not? Should we do uh, this particular video series or entertainment story or not? We argue over those things because we're, tr we're afraid and intimidated, sometimes comparing, sometimes judging, and we're not always confident in our own practice. And so... Uh, we start to argue with others or judge them for the way that they practice those things. And we should always say, let each be convinced in their own minds. Unless it's a principle explicit in Scripture or a wisdom principle very implicit in the Word of God, apply the Scriptures how you want in your family life. You're free to do that. And you, you will find that sometimes you have a good method and it's working well and it's going well and then you see somebody else who does things more effectively and you don't want to admit it. You don't want to admit that they've actually been more diligent in some ways and you kind of chafe at it and say like, well, we're doing ours this way, you know, instead of humbly learning from them. Or uh, you find a method that you like and you think it's going to be like that all your life and you never change it. So then your kids age and they come up in the teen years and they're like, Dad, that's not working anymore. Uh, we can't keep building Noah's Ark in the living room. I'm, I'm 17, Dad. It's not, it's not We can't keep building Noah's Ark in the living room for our <laughs> Bible time together. You can't do flannel graphs with a 16-year-old. <laughs> it ain't going to work. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, but... But sometimes parents never, never advance in their methods because methods are not up for grabs for them. The form has become the substance, and they think it's more spiritual to do it this way. And we, we all suffer from that a bit, so we have to be careful. The other thing that can sometimes do is, is limit a family life because men aren't actually leading in the way they're gifted by God. Because, you know, you see one family where there's a very effective way that that man's leading his family, and that, we don't realize how much that has to do with the specific ways that God's gifted him. And we can sit there in jealousy of wanting to cultivate that in our own hearts, in our own family life, or we can just thank the Lord for the way he's, he's gifted and then think about the ways that we're gifted and recognize that God has given my family me as a leader and he didn't make a mistake in that. And so therefore the way that God wants the truth to be brought to bear is gonna be through the grid of the way that he's gifted me to be able to bring That's it to my own super, family. That's a super, super important principle. That is a huge one. I was going to mention one more thing about, you know, um, when it comes to spiritual practices for bringing the Word of God to bear in your home, 
Sometimes families, see, they think and, and have become convinced that they do better with a formal way of doing that. <clears throat> and, and that's fine. The Bible doesn't really deny that there are formal and informal ways to expose your mind and your heart to the truth and to practice permeating your life with it. Uh, but at home, uh, it's obviously going to be more informal because your life is informal. At home, your life is comfortable. It's in the four walls of your home. It's the rhythm of your family. It's your unique family personality. You're not trying to formalize that like we're always setting up a church service in our living room or, or you know, a full-on, you know, Bible study treatment of, you know, every night at the dinner table. If, if you posture like that as a family and that's the method you choose, all I can say is at some point you're going to have to ask yourself whether that's effective for every age group. And, uh, and the logistics of family life seem in our society to make that very, very hard to do that every single day. But you can always have the informal approach because you're always talking about truth as life comes at you. So it's, it's a little of both. And, and in the family life, probably more informal than formal, I would think. It's helpful. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the message this morning and removing all worldly entanglements and distractions and in you know, such an important arena of just thinking about spiritual protection and really an important arena for, for parents to deal with all those things in our own hearts because that's where it's going to begin ultimately. You know, if, if, we're, if we're not removing those things in our own life, it's going to be impossible for us to uh, eliminate it in our children's lives. But but I did want to ask you uh, to elaborate a little bit. I'm sure many in, in here have heard uh, Jerry's sessions from the family camp earlier this summer um, lineage. If you haven't, let me encourage you to go out and listen to those. If you've enjoyed this Sunday morning uh, series, it's just really, you know, that there's just an extension of all the principles Jerry's been talking about given there in those five messages at, at, at the, the lineage family camp. But you brought up one thing in, at, at the family camp that I wanted you to elaborate a little bit on here, and that was specifically thinking through subcultures in regards to the lives of our children. And this particularly comes into play as they're getting on in years and getting into the pre-adolescent, adolescent years, can even sometimes in our culture, depending on circumstance, creep in earlier than that. But could you give us a little bit of, give us some definition, first of all, of, of you know, what, what is a subculture, and then what am I looking out for? How am I protecting my family in this arena? And maybe just help us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, well, I'm using the term subculture to mean an identity that is rooted in an ideology in a certain area of culture. So culture's the macro, that's what we live in. We live in our culture. That has certain elements to it. But subcultures are groups um, in, our, in our culture that identify with ideologies and ways of life and ethics associated with it. And it, it, it may be in any arena. It could be in education. It could be in athletics and competition. It could be in uh, the arts. It could be in any extracurricular activity. And uh, even... even um, areas where people are attaching themselves to gurus and people who teach certain things and health dynamics and, and all of these other reasons. There, there are subcultures within the overall way that our culture interacts with that stuff. And when we were raising our kids, we used that terminology to help them understand, look, 
some of these activities being innocent in and of themselves might be fair game. If you take an interest in it and you develop some time with it and uh, <clears throat> we have either the resources and the time to help you explore that area of your talent or your interests, we're going to do that. We'll have some limitations. First of all, we, we have four kids, so we can't have all of you doing five extracurricular interests all you want. Secondly, we can't afford it. And, and ultimately, if, if we're going to limit one of you, we have to limit all of you similarly so that there But within the activity you're interested in, there are often these things that aren't so innocent. The activity itself, in and of itself, we might love. Uh, we used to talk about, you know, we, we were a family, who lo we loved to ski and snowboard. And that became kind of an illustration early on about uh, we don't mind if our kids learn to, the, to enjoy that and learn the skill of it, but there are youthy and immature and worldly subcultural identities and ideologies attached to that activity in that age group or in that group identity. And we have said if there's anything in there that's unbiblical or weakens your resolve or tempts you because you're particularly vulnerable in that area, you're not going to be doing that activity. And, and sure, you may do that activity and we'll watch to see who influences whom. If you can keep yourself from idols and if you can grow through it, then it becomes a bit of a test as you work your way through that. We'll be watching that. Then you might still be able to do that activity if you can keep free from the subculture. But we're not going to let you become that identity the skater culture, the sports culture, the music culture, the arts, the entertainments, the things that young people tend to just love to do in their early interests. We're not going to allow you to take on that identity that uh, threatens the morals of Scripture or our family or what we believe God calls us to, and we're not going to let you start to buy into the verbiage and an ideology that goes along with it because that comes with their ethics. And like I said this morning, there's no harmony between darkness and light. And, and that's a, a hard area merely because of friendships, not just interests and not just subtle ideologies that come with it in the subculture, but friendships. If you get into an activity, you're going to develop friendships. And friendships are important, but you're not very good at choosing them yet, wisely. So it makes it extra vulnerable that you might be tempted to move into the identity of that group. And if we see anything in it that is dishonoring to Christ, you're not going to do it. Does that, does that help? Yeah, that, that's huge. And, you know, you mentioned in there friendships, and it's another area that I think oftentimes, as, uh, particularly in our culture, we have a backwards view of friendships and particularly our rights to them. We, um, it's kind of this perspective that's, you know, cultivated nowadays. Same thing in regards to, you know, any arena in our culture, but it's very independent. You know, so in other words, a young person who's, you know, in their preteen, teen years and coming up into adult years, a parent can almost feel like, well, I don't have, I don't have a right to tell them who their friends can or can't be. Could you maybe speak to, speak to that? That is a, that's an error. Um, you have a responsibility as a parent to train up a child in the way they should go, the way that God has made them. 
and the way he's designed children to grow in their understanding of truth in the home. That's your responsibility. You have a responsibility to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and until they're out of your home and living as an adult, they are under the authority of the parents. So it would be bizarre to imagine that there's an area of their life that is off limits when you're going to bear culpability before God for that area. I used to tell my kids that. You, you don't get to pick your friends on your own if I'm going to bear responsibility before God for how you picked them. So we're going to work together on this, and I'm going to show you what the Bible says principally, and then I'm going to help you navigate your heart, and I'm going to say yes to some with caveats and cautions. I'm going to say absolutely yes to others and watch you flourish in them, and I'm going to say absolutely no to others. And uh, there's no argument or debate about my role in it. That's what God gave me to do, and I'm a gift to you, and I'm a protection to you. The best thing a child can be told to do is come to mom and dad and say, help me understand why there are red flags or yellow flags about this friend. That's the best thing you can do. Kids don't want to do that. They don't want to do that, not because friendships are a right or parents don't have any say. Kids don't want to do that because they already know there's questionable things and their flesh wants the friendship anyway. And so I always told our kids, look, uh, you, we can have a lot of peacetime talks about your friends, or we can have a lot of very heated wartime talks about your friends. It's really up to you. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to continue to bring the standard. When you get on into high school and you can sneak around a bit more, you'll have to know that God is watching and your sin will find you out. But in the end, I'm involved all the way. And and especially since you're going to want to bring your friends home one day, uh, you know, not only are friends and friendships quite cheap in high school, they don't really hang around typically for life. Louise used to tell them that all the time. Your, your friends aren't your family, and you think that they're your besties, but they're not. Uh, you probably, your high school friends, maybe there's one or two that you might stay connected with unless you grew up with them and they both became Christians, went to college together. But in the high school years, eh, friendships are cheap. So we reminded of them that, uh, of that principle, but also just my involvement. One day you're going to want me to um, be joyful about the influences in your life and... Uh, so you really ought to come to me and let's talk through it. And if you're going to sneak around and do things later outside of our purview, uh, you have the Lord to contend with. And so you're going to bear some scars if you don't bring that to us. So, but no, they don't have a right. Friendships are a privilege. What does the Bible tell us? He who is greatest in the kingdom is servant of all. We don't live this life for friendships that make us happy. We do enjoy friendships. God made us relational. But we are put in this life to serve, to deny self, take up our cross, and serve. Uh, you know, that's how we ought to see your friendships develop. How are you serving your friends? How are you serving them spiritually? How are you influencing them spiritually? How are you benefiting their life and making their life better? How are you guys learning more responsibility and greater wisdom together? Uh, that's how a friendship ought to be treated, not... Not this is your surrogate family and mom and dad are a bed and breakfast. That, that's not going to fly. And uh, we told them that right up front. You can argue that all day long. We're, 
That's immovable, it's a wall, it's an anvil. You'll bang up against it and hurt yourself. We're not moving on that. What an incredible um, preparation that is for future seasons, too. You think about church life, you think about married life. You know, what are they going to need to view themselves as? Servants. It's exactly what God has declared their identity to be. Mm. And so much of life and so much of the troubles mm. of life are coming out of this selfish grid that views everything through the grid of I'm, I'm here to be served rather than to serve. And so the sooner we can start setting that as the gauge and the marker, not because we're going to understand all the significance of it in younger years, but the sooner we can be setting that as the trajectory in life, the, the better. Now, fair warning to parents, your children want to see you implement the same principles in your friendships. And um, if they see a consistent hypocrisy because... You tell them what you want them to do with regard to those influences and relationships, but you cut corners and you shave a little bit over here and you're not really holding a principle you teach them over here. Uh, it's a little difficult then when you tell them to talk about friendships and choosing wisely when they can literally point to things that raise questions, if not our, our hypocrite, hypocrisy in your life in the way you make choices. So fair warning you got to live this, and sometimes your kids will catch you in it in the teen years. Well, you know, because they're always looking for some argument and some case to make, and when they can come up with a good case from your life that there are compromises they see, you're going to have to own it and gain credibility in your coming under God's word the way that you call them to come under it. So, so maybe one last question that you could probably take an hour in answering, but we don't have an hour. So, but I, I am going to try to get you to summarize some thoughts. So you did a recent Q&A. Again, I'm, I'm just kind of a walking advertisement for the other venues in which you've spoken recently, but a recent Q&A for this podcast called Smiling at the Future, uh, a lady out in uh, uh, Grace California. Community Church in yeah. California who uh, has a podcast there primarily directed to, to singles and those not in the season of marriage and family life yet. Maybe give a little bit of exhortation as you think about those, and, and this could be all the way down to even, obviously implications would be different, but even children in, in, in their, their family that are bearing a different responsibility than parents, to then you know, young adults who are looking ahead and trying to establish in life some of what they're, they're looking for in, in the next season and, and establish strengths in all the right areas. What would be some of your exhortations to those who aren't in the seasons yet where they're in the, the roles in their own marriages and their own families and, and how, to, how to best use that season, maybe we could say. Well, yeah. Um, so the hardest thing for us to do growing up is to think long-term and feel the weight of responsibility not yet on us. So young people, children, teenagers, college students, even older singles... Uh, because the weight of responsibility that comes with being responsible for a family and those things is not upon them, and they haven't really developed a habit of thinking about working today for some payoff way down the road uh, as a habit, they, they end up uh, not really thinking long-term, discontent today, looking right in front of them, not seeing what they could do to earn and gain some depth in this season and they, they basically just squander uh, opportunities. But what does the Scripture say keeps us from simple-mindedness? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
And then you have the Proverbs. So my encouragement always to young people is, if you want to grow in your depth without all of the responsibility of a family on you yet, but you want to see life from the perspective of evil versus good, uh, desires of humankind, the foolishness that's in the heart versus uh, wisdom, if you want to do that, pour into your heart and mind as a single person the wisdom of Proverbs, particularly the first nine chapters, which really are Solomon's instruction to his, his son and sort of the older, coming into adolescence and older adolescence uh, young person, although those principles are timeless, and he was basically saying that very thing. I know you don't have um, those experiences in front of you right now, but think long term, and if you want to feel the weight before you actually have it, learn to apply wisdom the, the principles of Scripture wisely to your current context. Take responsibility for people. Take responsibility for living wisdom at, at whatever context you're in. Demonstrate self-control in all those things that the Bible calls us to. And the simplistic thinking comes off. The discernment develops. Fear God and He will pour discernment into your mind and you'll be wiser beyond your years, right? Psalm 119, 97 to 103 just says that. Oh, how I love thy law. I'm wiser than my teachers because I meditate on your precepts. I know more than the aged and, and by the scriptures, I, I hate every false way. I learn to hate every false way. Um, I encourage Singles, but particularly in the early years when you don't bear as much responsibility, uh, think long term. That is wisdom. And then feel the weight of things not yet on you by taking wisdom principles and applying it to your life now where it costs you, where it really costs you in areas in front of you. And God will take that fear of him and pour into you discernment that goes beyond your responsibilities and your station of life. That's a promise. Jerry, thank you for uh, this series, brother, and we're all praying for many more to come at appropriate intervals in the midst of church life because we need these thank reminders. You. So thank you, brother. Let You're me welcome. go ahead and pray to close our time tonight. Heavenly Father, it is an absolute privilege to be in the body of Christ, to be under your truth, to have the principles that you give to us for all of these challenging areas of life. And God certainly... Uh, nothing strikes closer to the heart than family life. And so, Lord, we know that these are our principles that we desperately need to consider. We know that um, every, everything that your word gives us is what we need for life and godliness. And so there's nothing we can afford to neglect in it. And God, we also know that um, we are weak and we are but dust and we don't have the resources we need in and of ourselves. So, Lord, we need these reminders. We need to be stirred up by way of, of these reminders. And so we thank you for the opportunity in the body of Christ to be taken back to these principles. And Lord, we do pray that we would be a church that's cultivating families that have great strength, Lord, great strength in a culture that those that strength is going to be needed. Lord, we got opposition that is coming hard and We've got a culture that is increasingly getting dark. The, the light of the gospel is going to shine brighter, but Lord, as that light shines brighter, it's going to attract more attention and more hostility. And 
So Lord, families are going to increasingly be the target. And so we need to have great faith and we need to know the principles that, that we're living by so that, Lord, we won't waver in unbelief or weak faith in those moments. And so, God, we pray that you would give us the grace to be establishing these principles deeply in our hearts and living by faith in them. And, Lord, that as a result, this church would be strengthened, that, that generations that come after us would be strengthened, and, Lord, that your gospel would continue to go forth through family life and through this church as you've designed. So we thank you for your grace to us tonight, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.